This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the Undaunted Women of Nanking, the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fan. On today's episode, the women begin their own registration of Jinling's refugees and survey the damage in other parts of the city as they prepare against their wishes to send the refugees back home. Tuesday, February 1st, 1938, from Minnie Votrin's Diary. Day fairly clear and mild. Again, there is airplane activity, heavy planes to the northwest. The blimp is also up today, over near Pukau. Why so near, we do not know. At nine this morning, in the six refugee buildings, we began our registration of refugees, for we want to find out more details about each family before they go home. There are two of our helpers in each building doing this work. It will take two days to complete the work. Mr. Wong and Francis Chen went to the meeting of heads of refugee camps. It seems best for Mr. Wong to go in my place, since they are discussing the important problem of the return of refugees to their homes. The greater part of the meeting was filled with reports of outrages on men and women who have tried to go to their homes. How the young women can go to their homes is more than I can imagine, and why the heads of the military want them to do so also passed my comprehension, for the stories of mistreatment and outrages will be greatly multiplied. The people at the meeting felt that since a high military official is coming, that it might be possible to get the date postponed. Just before noon, a woman of 39 came at 6.30 to talk over her troubles. This morning she persuaded a man who worked in the family where she worked to go back to their home to get their things that might still be there. The woman was seized and raped by five soldiers, and the man was slapped and relieved of $9. The woman's husband was taken on December 27th and has not returned. Just after this woman left my office, another of 57 came in. She and her husband had gone home on Sunday. Her husband had been forced out of the home, and two soldiers had mistreated her. Women do not willingly tell me these tales, for they feel disgrace of it too deeply. How can young girls be asked to go home? Again today, Every time I went across the campus, a group would gather and implore me to make it possible for them to stay. How my heart aches for them. This morning, thanks to John McGee for loan of his car, Mary and Mrs. Sen took two old men down to Christiana Sai's home to see if they can protect what remains of that fine old residence. It has already been badly looted, but some 
of the heavier mahogany furniture was still there. Blanche Wu and I started 1.30, went over to the National Research Institute in the eastern part of the city. What a sickening sight it was. Houses and shops everywhere are burned or looted clean. We saw practically no one about but soldiers. In the institute, three of the five major buildings were burned, and we could see the charred remains of the great herbarium, the work of years. The biology building had been looted but not burned. We went to Dr. Ping's office and tried to collect what seemed to be the remains of his research data. We shall try to get some old and reliable men to go over there to be caretakers and preserve what is left. After we returned, Mrs. Sen and Mary went out again, this time to Mary Chen's home. What a sight it was, everything looted and mutilated. What will be left of old Nanking by spring? Tonight we had a special meal for our staff, and at the end we each had half of a honey orange and some chocolates. The same day from the diary of Sen Shui Fan. The things mailed from Shanghai arrived. Most of them were bought by Mrs. Liu at our request, and some were given to us by her. All are foods. If the current situation drags on for a prolonged period of time, we're afraid it may be impossible for us to buy food here. Tonight. We had delicious food for dinner, given by the international committee. We did not consume much of them for only one meal. Because of having a lot of money given by the international committee, we gave most of it to the workers and the staff, who have helped us and asked them to buy meat to eat. We only spent several dollars to buy vegetables for ourselves. Also tonight. We ate three good things given by the people from Shanghai: apples, orange, and candies. As refugees, we're able to eat three such delicious foods. Are we privileged refugees? They're really tasty. I have not eaten orange for a long time, and I really miss it. Wednesday, February second. From Minnie's diary. Although dismal and cold this morning, there were many airplanes carrying death and mutilation to the northwest. At ten o'clock, went with Ernest Forster and James McCollum, first to our Christian mission compounds in SC, south of the city, and then to American Church Mission. The Indiana building is not badly damaged externally, but has had a thorough looting, especially in the apartment on the top floor. The school buildings in the west compound were burned. On Chunghua Street, it seemed to me that 80% of the best buildings were burned. The YMCA was among the first to be burned. For the first few days after the entrance of the Japanese army, there was not much burning. But within a week, the policy of deliberately looting and then burning was started and carried on for days. The result I saw this morning. The Chinese army did little looting before it left, 
except for money. Strangely enough, we were not prepared for this. Many of us had been afraid of a long siege and of looting by Chinese soldiers. We were rather confident that the Japanese would be too well disciplined to loot and burn. The American church mission was in about the same conditions. Missionary houses completely looted, although well protected by American and Japanese proclamations. The school had been largely destroyed by a bomb, but the church not badly damaged. Taiping Peaceful Road has practically been burned store by store to cover up the evidence of very thorough looting. Army trucks took out the loot. If the Japanese businessmen are later expecting to occupy the city, it will require a vast amount of capital to build needed buildings. Not a store was in existence, save a few opened by Japanese. At 11.15, I went to the Japanese embassy to see Mr. Fukuda, who has just returned from Shanghai. He received the data I gave him concerning 658 missing men, husbands or sons of our refugees. The large majority were taken on December 16th. He said he would do what he could, and I believe he was sincere, for he realized that such women without their husbands are dependent on society, and there is no society. Talk to him briefly about the order that had gone out forcing all refugees to go to their homes, and gave him some incidents of raping of women that had taken place in the last three days. He said he wanted more facts. After this call, I went to the Swastika Society headquarters to report the unburied bodies in the vicinity west of us, especially the charred bodies on the edge of the two ponds. They have placed more than a thousand bodies in coffins since the occupation. From 3 to 5.30, was in my office, but not to work. Several women came in to tell me their tragedies, accounts which seem unbelievably cruel and beastly. Someday I would like the women of Japan to know some of these sad, sad stories. Our own registration of refugees is going on in all six buildings by our own workers. It is a big piece of work, but will be of great help to us later. The afternoon meeting for women was very good. As Gua Chiang and I distributed tickets for the meeting tomorrow afternoon, young girls begged for me to do all I could to keep them from being forced to go home on February 4th. Said they would rather starve on our campus then be forced to go out. Now Sen's diary of the same day. Now we have plenty of cod liver oil and milk powder shipped from Shanghai for refugees' children and babies. Today we began to distribute them. Many have registered for the cod liver oil and milk powder. Each afternoon, from 1 to 3 p.m., we check if they are taking them regularly. I have to prepare the formula for milk powder before giving it to them. Several babies were born on the campus and have, have no milk from the mothers because the adults have nothing to eat. And how can they produce milk to feed the babies? Every week, 
we weigh the babies once and see how much they have grown. I found three educated women amongst refugees to help me deliver milk powder and prepare formula. We have to deliver it to six rooms. Thursday, February third. Snowing steadily, quite cold. Finished our local registration in all but the two academic buildings, where there are perhaps more than nine hundred per building. Lewis Smith called this morning and again this afternoon to discuss methods of distributing cod liver oil and powdered milk to the babies and sick children. He also says that the safety zone committee want all of us in charge of camps to remain at our post tomorrow. The date set for refugees to go home. What a fearful decision is before the people to go to their homes, where they are still in very grave danger of being robbed or stabbed, and the women of being raped. Part of our strength today was used in urging older women to go home, in spite of risk and danger, and thus make it safer for the young girls to remain here. Mrs. Lee, former matron of the women's dormitory at seminary, was sent over by young women in seminary camp. When the camp is disbanded, they want to come over here. They have heard a fantastic tale that we are going to take all the young girls to Shanghai on a boat. Mr. Forster called and brought radio news, which he and John McGee have kindly written out for us. Also told us that a Mr. Bishoprick of the International Export Company, who has been in the city for a number of days, is going to Shanghai tomorrow morning by car, and will take mail, which will probably be placed in an embassy-sealed envelope. This is another opportunity to get letters off, if we have time to write them. I have a sore, inflamed eye tonight, which Mrs. Sen has treated and bandaged. Now I have more sympathy for the four blind refugee girls. How can they be so cheerful? We conclude with Sen's diary of Thursday, February third. These past several days, I have felt very frustrated. And I do not know what to do. Should we ask refugees to return home? We are sure that it is not a good idea to ask them to do so. Yet, if we do not, we are afraid that trouble may arise because the Japanese push us to urge refugees to go home. Today, it turned out to be a clear day. If it was snowing, we could use it to request an extension of the date to send the refugees home. It is most unfortunate that we have no place to redress our suffering. Today, the Japanese soldiers came three times: twice for the inspection and once for propaganda. When they came, they were accompanied by a Chinese. This Chinese was a Nationalist Party officer, and he was saved. By the Japanese from jumping into the river. Now he is working for them. When the Japanese were not at his side, he talked to Botrin, 
asking her not to send the young women home. While talking, his tears were rolling down his cheeks. He said that he had no choice other than accompanying the Japanese. In the future, he plans to escape. On our next episode, the dreaded day arrives. The refugees are told to leave Jinling and return home. Thanks for listening.